for 360 Performance. I'm your host, Laura Lightman, coach. Uh, reluctant to call me doctor, but that's also a truism. We're here with a great show today uh, with two uh, guests that um, I'm more than just casually familiar with. Uh, they are two athletes that have moved on into other careers. My first today is um, Austin Dunstan, a uh, podcaster of the uh, show, creator actually and host of the show, uh, The Common Fan. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to Austin just in a, in a minute here about, about the show and the details of that. Our second guest that will come in at the half hour is Griggs Crawford. And Griggs is, was, I think he still fashions himself an athlete, but he was a more formal athlete in high school as a pitcher. Uh, Through some really great innings for me. And when he comes on with us, he'll see this wonderful hat that I've got here with the Fairview Knights. We'll bring that on so he can remind himself that he is really old and that I will always be older, which I'm sure he'll remind me of. But that being said, we're here to talk about us versus them. And what that means is, is that there's a lot of energy in our world today that is challenging the attention span, uh, the productivity of, of not just our athletes in competitive spaces, but everybody. I don't know about you, but I wake up some days with an edge on. I'm going, what the hell? I got anger issues and I don't even have a therapist yet. That's just not, that's not right. So we're going to keep, we're going to keep moving today with our, with our show. And we, we talk every week about uh, a mindset moment. And this week's mindset moment, moment came to me from Stephen Covey. And it's appropriate that the backdrop is the Capitol building because the mindset moment is effective leadership is putting first things first. Boy, I wish people would learn about that a little bit more. And effective management is discipline carrying that out. Boy, those are some lessons we could be applying today, right? Whether it's on the ball field, in the gymnasium, or maybe actually in the halls of that wonderful building that's pictured there, the Capitol building. We've got a lot of stuff that's going on that creates an us versus them kind of positioning. So as we talk about that, I want to remind you of this particular quote as well, that in the days of, of religious persecution and challenges around the world globally, it's a timeless event going back, way back to the Maccabees when the Philistines were attacking them. Now look, and I'm not trying to get religious on you, far be it for me to do that. Some people call me a heathen. But there was a time in their lives when the light that they needed during the evening hours was going to wane away because they didn't have enough oil. But they had the faith. I'm hoping that we have the faith as well so that we are constantly looking for excellence regardless of the conditions. And we are repeatedly what we do, and excellence then is not an act, it's a habit. So says, look at that, Aristotle. That's how far back it goes. So these kind of concepts are timeless. They're principles, and that's what makes them principles because they are timeless. The principles of gravity. I take a pen, I throw it in the air, it falls down. And guess what? If I was in China, it would do the same thing. Those are principles. We need to be aware of the principles that drive us and motivate us to do the right things. Well, speaking of the right things, let's talk about, as it relates to our theme today, teamwork, unity. And in this picture shows, this is the um, all-star game. And you see we have LeBron, we have Kev, we have James Harden. Well, guess what? There's a challenge for Mr. Harden. He's going to another team. In, in, New, in New Jersey from Houston, 
because I think he wants to try to win, not well, I try, he's always been trying, he wants to win an NBA championship. So is he going to have that unity on that team of all-stars? Because there's a triad of all-stars, and Kevin is one of them, along with him, and I'll mention the third in a minute, because he's going to be an integral introduction on, on his contribution, because I'm going to say two of those three guys on New Jersey that are representing that this triad of talent that's going to bring them an NBA championship, so they think. They're, <laughs> their us versus them attitude might crop up its ugly head because each one of these three guys have, let me say, they got a few sponsors between them. And sometimes their motives might be a little questionable. Um, so Harden is, is on the nets. That's happening, and hopefully, it will it will be a, a three old guys win an NBA championship. I guess we'll wait and see, right? We'll see what happens with um, the health and well being of that team. Now, I'm going to bring in Austin for a minute, and Austin, who is the third person of that old guys trio for the Nets? I believe you're referring to Kyrie Irving. Yes, Mr. Irving, Mr. Shoeshine. He is <laughs> an awesome, awesome representative of sponsorship and fights very hard for every single nickel that he gets from his sponsorship. I'm concerned for the, the, the New Jersey Nets and that they will have a challenge between those three in what is their priority. Making sure that they represent for the team that's the us, or represent for the them, which is which is the sponsorship and the money. Because I believe it right. gets in the way of their thinking. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we see all the time, too. I mean, if we look at, even go over to the NFL, the, the Cleveland Browns have a star-studded team. Uh, they've got Kareem Hunt, they've got Nick Chubb, they have Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield. I mean, last year they were supposed to be, you know, it. They were supposed to be the team. Uh, just clicking on all cylinders, and they weren't. But we look forward to this year, and it looks like they've kind of started to play as a team and put winning first instead of as individuals within that team. So I think that's why you're seeing more success, especially out of a team like the Cleveland Browns today. And Austin, Cleveland Browns is a great example. And just remember that last week during their playoff win, it wasn't the number one. It wasn't the number two WR. It was the number three WR that led in receptions, yardage, and TDs. And that is Hollywood Henderson, Higgins, sorry, Higgins, Rashard Higgins. Hollywood, Rashard Higgins. Um, and once again, a Colorado State University graduate. Uh, but he, he buys his time, he's patient, and he delivers. So you're absolutely right. I think there are plenty enough distractions going around for everybody. And speaking of that, sw switching gears to the NCAA. And there's a, <laughs> we haven't been more than two weeks away from the playoffs ending, national championships being stated, and they're grousing about how should we improve it? How should we take things away from the NCAA? And there's, there's talk about what should those changes be, and the, most, the, <laughs> the one that's the most often talked about in the last 10 days has been, hey, make sure you don't schedule anything in conflict with the NFL. <laughs> it's, and that's money-based. That has nothing to do with the kids. That has nothing to do with the teams. So I'm very interested in what the future looks like, Austin. Tell me a little bit about what you think the NCAA is going to do as it relates to football playoffs going forward. Well, 
I am very passionate about the college football playoff because, you know, I'm from Tennessee, uh, and, and college football is kind of king here. I'm, I'm an Arkansas Razorbacks fan, sadly, um, but I'm <laughs> surrounded by uh, Tennessee Volunteers fans and, and Alabama fans. So college football is really king, but, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing that is the common denominator between all college football fans, except for maybe Alabama, is that something has to change with the college football playoff. Because at this point in time, it's really just, you know, they had the BCS championship when, you know, it was just selected in a computer. Maybe there was opinion based in it and they went to the playoff. Well, now it's essentially just the BCS national championship expanded into a playoff. There is no incentive. You don't have to win your conference. You know, you don't have to win your regular season games. You have to have a good schedule. But if you're in Alabama, if you're a Clemson, uh, if you're in Ohio State and you have one loss, the odds of you still getting into that championship are very, very high. But if you're, you know, a group of five schools, say like Cincinnati, and you have an undefeated regular regular season, you're just, apparently you're not going to get in. If there was ever a year for that to happen, it was going to be this year. So what I think has to change is the college football playoff at least has to be expanded. Everybody wants it expanded, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and there has to be incentives to winning your your conference championship. I, I'm a firm believer if you win, you have to or you have to win to get your way in automatically, in a sense. So maybe there's a, a, a conference championship tie-in with the Power Fives, and there's three left over where you can put a group of five in, and you can still get in those two uh, Power Five schools that didn't win their conference. That way, everybody's in, but actually conference championships have a meaning now, and you can't just say, oh, well, I think this team's better than that team. They actually have to win to earn their way into that playoff. Well, you've just defined another us versus them. Because if you are a contrarian to the popular opinion in that they want to re reduce the number of playoff games, taking away the chance of other teams having even a, a hair of a chance, a breath of a chance, a whisper of a chance of right. getting in um, versus um, anybody else. So that, again, it plays to the power five, the more uh, well-funded schools that have the money to get the, five, five, the three to five star players on their rosters. Um, I, I think it's a shame for the benefit of the game because uh, too often, as you know, in watching football, intangibles tend to define key games and the most unlikely of, of competitors win the contest when um, the uh, emotions are, are running high. So uh, maybe the exception might be Alabama. I, I don't know, but <laughs> regardless of the game, I think Alabama always has a chance. Right. But you're a contrarian about it. They're, they're right now they're talking about the improvements to include fewer playoff games to narrow the field so they can process it quicker to the money. You know, the, the sponsorships, the ads, the TV rights, and so on and so on and so on. Um, I, I, it's not for today's discussion, but we, you and I have talked about a future discussion we're going to have about what the NCAA is going to do if the Power Five push for a separation of them out of the NCAA and creating their own conference league. So that being said, let's switch to another topic with a different ball, a rounder ball, uh, and that's the NCAA's March Madness. And I have to put my alumni, my undergraduate alumni, Iowa Hawkeyes up there because they've got the, the if not going to be the, number one player uh, in, the, in the country, uh, and that's Luca. Uh, he is number 55, the center for the Iowa Hawkeyes at, at 6'10", um, and he's there because I want to 
point out about what are you, you going to do to qualify for the NCAA? Because the same theme at the football is following into March Madness. Fewer teams. So how do we get in? And I don't mean fewer than 65. I mean, there isn't going to be any of these runoff games to see if you get in these marginalized teams or conferences. That's what they're talking about right now. So what's your take on that, Austin? Man, <clears throat> well... My take is I'm always uh, for more games. You know, I love sports. I love to watch them. If you're going to throw something on in the middle of March or, you know, even into May, and it's any sport, I'm going to sit down and watch it because that's just how I am. Um, I think that reducing, you know, the teams that get in, I, it kind of takes away from the specialness that is March Madness um, because you love to – you live for those Cinderella stories. Like a couple years back, I believe it was Loyola, Chicago, um, and, you know, the 16, UMBC, I believe, upsetting yeah. the number one seed. You live for those times. I mean, those are things that don't happen very often, but when they do, it's almost, you know, magical, right? So I think it, it hurts, in, in a sense, to try to reduce And I get what they're trying to do. You know, it's all about money. The NCAA absolutely loves them some money, man. Um, however they can make a quick buck, they're going to. But it continues to hurt viewership. Uh, and fanship as they continue to, you know, just work toward the money. They're going to have to eventually find a happy medium where they're also pleasing fans as well as getting their money. Well, and regardless of what they do in the numbers, uh, and I don't think this year is going to be the year they're going to reduce the numbers, um, but it's definitely the time they're going to discuss it. So if they have that discussion out there as this year's madness, and I say that in a uniform sort of way, uh, madness court for anybody but the format once we get to the, the tournament play may be different because, mainly because of fans not in the stands and the difference in how you're going to participate in um, advertising sponsorship um, and just, just viewing it in a virtual streaming type of sense so there's a lot of different format elements that I'm very curious about regretfully the NCAA they're only talking about uh the CDC and public health guidelines as a way to establish some kind of criteria for format, but they're not talking about what most of us sports fans really want to look at, and that is, where is my team going to play yeah. in the brackets? Uh, and they, they, they've been, the only thing i come close to finding out is they're, they're bantering around about um, a, a finite number of sites around the country that become the, the gathering point for all of the teams. So maybe a half a dozen cities will gain a lot of income because all of the playoffs will be coming to them in that region. Right, yeah, I've seen I've seen where Indianapolis is is in the mix. I'm not sure if they're cons they're confirmed that's where everything's going to be, but they're going to be a big part in it. And it's just going to be different. It's kind of creating a bubble for college, as we've seen, you know, in the NBA, which it can work, but it's just it's just different than in years past. And you know, hopefully, we're we're close to being able to get back to normal. Uh, but this isn't something new that we're seeing because we've been dealing with this since last year, early last year. So everybody's kind of accepted it. Personally, I just want to be able to see see the March Madness. I mean, remember it got canceled. I remember when it got canceled last year. It was just it was devastating to everybody because it's one of the best times to watch college basketball. It is the best time to watch college basketball and one of the best time to watch college sports in general. So I think as long as they can get it in somewhere, 
and, and, and people can watch it, maybe even have a few fans, and I think people will be happy. Well, and, and to your point earlier, for last year's final uh, NCAA March Madness, there were Division II schools because of the RPI, they, they got invited, and then it was canceled. Right. And Division II schools, the cycle with which they get a chance is long. It's a, it's a big dis- distance for them from, from uh, time, point in time to point in time to get there. So there's some very disappointed young men and women about uh, being removed from that. Now, I don't think they're going to do that now, but Indianapolis is the, fi- the site for the finals. That's where that's going to be because they can control it, and they will have a regional tournament there. I, I don't know who who's what teams will be pulled in because you know some teams might have home field advantage or home court advantage, and they tend to stay away from that. Um, but um, that may be out the window. But there's going to yeah. it's. I'm with you. I, I want to see it. I want to see it with a quality effort. And if there's any chance at all that I can be a fan in the stand, I want to be there. Absolutely. I want to be there for that because basketball just jazzes me. I mean, I, I'm spoiled with football because I get to get on the field all the time. Right. But basketball, it's it's the atmosphere. It's just um, – and that's also a double-edged sword because the atmosphere creates an environment that may not be as healthy as we'd like it to be. So uh, in our intros, the truth be told is a segment. So here's a truth be told. Um, <laughs> when we have unrest – it sells. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's as much as we want to grouse about it and want it a different way. We are, in fact, talking about it. And if I had a bottle to show, and, and I'd be selling something, right? You know, it's yeah. it, it's really something. So the other truth to be told is, in the times that we're talking about, in eliminating, reducing. The number of participants that takes away the possibility of delivering the intangibles the player or the team that surprises everybody in the stands and just outdistanced like the browns outdistancing the pittsburgh steelers in the first <laughs> quarter by 28 points man that was wild well and Roth- oh my god roethlisberger four turnovers just on yeah. him alone I mean, the first snap of the game was a snap over Roethlisberger's head into the end zone, and they pretty much gave Cleveland a seven-point start, head start. Yeah, it was, and the office didn't even touch the field. Yeah, it was crazy. So intangibles are a big part of what happens when there is adversity that needs to be dealt with. Um, and I want to see them come out. I want to see the excitement of that. Exactly. Uh, no, yeah. I agree with that one. I just want to say something real quick on that point. It's yeah. that that's why there's the, the phrase, any given Sunday. Because anybody can go out there and be anybody on any given day. But if you take that away, exactly what you're saying there, I mean, you lose intangibles. You don't, I mean, they're essentially creating an outcome for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, and, and that, that blends right into this next point about with all the changes that are being prognosticated, and some are coming, now there's, no, there's no guessing anymore, is that is the, is the fan going to be subject because of these rivalries and this competition to actually, and it was their desire for it, we, we get more pay-per-view events. And, you know, I thought boxing it was and wrestling was struggling with pay-per-view, but it seems like because of the COVID, and, and yet we want, we want to see our sporting events, the distributors might say, well, guess what? you got to put your card in before you get to see it. 
or you got to buy an extra year's worth of Comcast or so, you know something. Yeah. There's an economic opportunity here that the, the people that are the assholes of the world are going to try to take advantage of. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so I'm I'm concerned about that. I, I don't know. Are are you old enough to be concerned about those economics, or are you just going to do it anyway? I mean. I'm much harder pressed to, to buy something that's pay-per-view uh, than a lot of people my age, I would say. Um, if it's something I really want to see, I'd be more inclined to, but man, I, you know, nowadays you, you can log on a website and probably see it and not have to pay for it. I mean, but if you want to do it the right way, you know, I get it. But I just think pay-per-view in, in sports that aren't boxing or UFC, it's just going to be a hard sell yeah. because it's never been that way. And those are sports that have always been that way. It, it hurts, I think. It'll hurt viewership because I do know a lot of people that would just say, all right, well, then I'm not going to watch it, and they will lose no sleep over it. Now, you will have some people that will buy it, of course, but, you know, the majority of people, they just, they just won't care. They're just, okay, like, fine, take it away from me, I guess. I think it'll be it'll hurt them more in the long run than it'll help them. It, it's, it's an edgy truth be told. It's on the edges. It's on the fringe. Yeah. But it, it just keeps coming up the most unlikely times, and, and many times it's coming from people that are really greedy. <laughs> um, here's another truth be told. There's a gentleman, I think you've seen his profile before, uh, but it's, it's classic for me because it helps me sell this point. How long will this last, last the, mask, the mask up? Um, I, I hope it doesn't last too much longer, but when it, when it goes away, it needs to go away for the right reasons, that we're safe and we're back to uh, butts in the chairs, fans in the stands, uh, doing what's necessary. And by the way, just so you know, nobody looks good in purple or orange. Just saying. <laughs> um, and as is, as is always, we're streaming here at KUHS Denver worldwide. We'll tell you, we got the we got the notes out there, both literally and figuratively. And when it comes to our Fridays at eleven o'clock, uh, three sixty performance brings you those um, situations and um, stories about. Uh, high performance. We're going to continue with our talk with Austin, but I want to just make sure that I, I share with you guys um, something that Austin's familiar with. That's Avcare and the antibacterial lotions and, uh, and disinfectants they have. That's the Waltz line, the Waltz free line, that alcohol free uh, antibacterial lotion. Get that stuff. I'm going to be traveling this weekend, um, as is somebody near and dear to Austin. We're both going to be traveling this weekend. Lather up, people! You know, and bring your mask with you. It's not because of those around you as much as it might be because of you protecting yourself asymptomatically from someone else. So get your walls free. Get your walls D disinfected. Contact uh, shop.avcare.com to um, put in your order and uh, make it happen. Be protected. Be safe. All right. So we are coming back to the show. We're going to stop the share. And look at there, big full face. Austin Dunstan, who is the host and creator of The Common Fan, uh, a great podcast. I've listened to it many, many times. He gets uh, friends and enemies alike to join his show so he can give you a perspective on sports and just being a super fan, or in his case, The Common Fan. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there an economic divider between Common Fan and Super Fan? You know... Maybe there might be, uh, but really, if you're the common fan, encompasses everybody that's you know not in the loop. They're not coaches. They're not paid to be there. They're people that love a, any sport, 
and they put in their own research you know they'll, they'll talk yeah. about it with their friends essentially that's what we try to do with the common fan is we we, we try to uh, capture uh, you know just conversations that you'd have with your friends you know sitting on a couch watching a game and so I don't know if there's a economic difference between a common fan and a super fan um, but uh, we, we try to include everybody in our show I that's the answer I hope you get because I don't think there should be because I think any fan even the fan that can't buy the numbered jersey with the autograph and the one that can needs to be in the same stands at the same time enjoying a good sporting event in the competition um, it, it was also said with tongue in cheek <laughs> to, 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 make the, to make the difference. But here's the serious question. We talked about the NCAA. We talked about college football. We talked a little bit about the NBA. Now let's talk about Super Bowl. What's okay. your vision of this year's Super Bowl? How will it change, if at all? And if it does, where is it going to change? Well, you know, we're kind of leaking in 2020 into 2021 a little bit. And 2020 was a, a different year for everything. And I think that it's inevitable that the Super Bowl is going to be different. It, it has to be to meet guidelines and be safe for everybody if they are even letting fans in attendance. And I hope they let you know, a certain capacity like they've been able to do in some places across the country. But at this point, is it's almost safe to say that it's it's normal for what what time we're in. We have, we've seen multiple champ. We've seen you know baseball. We've seen the NBA championship with with no fans. I think NHL was in there with no fans. It's kind of becoming a pattern. So it's going to be a lot like the rest of professional sports in their championships as in there's not going to be any fans or there might be some fans but it's something that we're used to you know these teams have been playing that way all year um the, the one thing that i'm interested in for the super bowl it has actually nothing to do with the game i mean of course i'm interested in the game but i want to see how they handle the halftime show yeah. that's something that people tune into the super bowl just to watch the halftime show so what are they are they going to pre-record it? Is it going to be virtual? I wonder what they're going to do because there has to be something because it's just such a staple when you talk about the Super Bowl. Well, I'm, it's interesting you bring that up because I have, as you might know, I have more than a casual understanding about the technology that can be used. And some of this technology is located right in Nashville. It's a studio outfit that does digital, do digital studios. And they also do the big jumbotron score cards, score things like right, yeah. Like at the hot rod races, they're the ones that have the big jumbotrons at the end of the track that says who yeah. wins, that kind of stuff. Well, I'm thinking they're going to do a, a live streaming digital production of the halftime show. So in other words, it'll be in a, a huge studio, perhaps in Nashville, where they're really? singing, but everybody that is participating, whether they're participating virtually through the live stream or, or the limited number that might be in the fans will see the live show, but the entertainers will not be on the 50-yard line. Yeah. They'll be in a digital studio, and that that's not good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not good enough for a lot of people. I mean, God, it, it, I think it was just last year they had uh, Shakira, and I can't remember who else it was, but... It, it seems like just yesterday, but it also seems, you know, years ago, that there were p people gathered on the field. I never really understand how they do that. It's crazy to me. They set up that stage and get, you know, thousands of people on the field and then get them off before, 
you know, the teams come out to, to warm up for the second half. But it's just, it, it, a lot of people are going to be upset about it. And, you know, it probably doesn't affect the people that, you know, usually don't go to the Super Bowl. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the people that do, there's people that love to go to the Super Bowl. And they go, some of them go just for the halftime show. I mean, it's, it's just going to be different. And I hope this is the only time we have to do it. Um, but like you said, we got to make sure that we're we're going back to normal for the right reasons, and so I guess we're all just going to kind of have to deal with it like we've been dealing with it for the last year. I, I've actually been collecting bubble wrap and connecting all the pieces. I'm making my own bubble to go to the games with. <laughs> I'm gonna have my own self-contained unit to oh, well, transport. To make, my, you're gonna have to make me one. Huh? Yeah, you know, I just I just figure that's the right thing to do. Because then, I, and, and if I get it mobilized, I can actually just walk in it and go. Oh, you need one of those uh, hamster balls, yeah, right? those big inflatable ones. Yeah. I just see you coach walking down the yeah. yard line. And I, I, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a two stage exchange device in that, so that they can slip my beer in there, pull the hand out. Yeah. I can slip my hand in and pull. You know, it's like it's like the boy in the bubble movie. <laughs> I, I'm self-contained. It's <laughs> it's a fan in the stand bubble. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm good. I'm all good. I, in fact, I'm thinking they may reconstruct the stadiums now to take the seats out and just have <laughs> um, places for the bubbles. Just for the bubbles. Hey, <laughs> that's an idea. Yeah, okay. So this, on that humorous note, this is a great time to segue into our half hour and bring um, Griggs Crawford in with us. He'll be, you know, as technology slowly brings us in, and there it's coming, it's coming. He may be able to hear me, but... I'm not seeing video yet. Here it's coming. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Are you waiting for me? I'm waiting for you. Look at that. Oh, here we go. Here we go. That's so Californian. You know, the little gruffy thing with the, the plaid shirt. All you need is snaps. You just need a <laughs> Oh, look out. I I got a Christmas card from a good friend this year, and he said, I think you're the only person to move to California uh, in 2020. <laughs> well, we've got um, Austin Dunstan with us, as well as wonderful Griggs Crawford. That's who's uh, with me now, and I'm, I'm wearing, in, in honor of Griggs, I'm wearing my Fairview baseball hat. Uh, this takes him back a few years. It's my way of making you humble because you are old. Just want to say. And I can say that because I am older than you. That's right. And? How many, how many logo iterations has oh, the Sherby oh, oh. gone through since our days? And colors. I, I've, you know, this is not the real red that they have now. You know, it's easy to stay black. You know, the black colors is easy. But the reds, oh, oh, different, you know, skews on that one. So, Austin <laughs> Griggs. Griggs Austin. And Griggs Austin is a baseball catcher. Operations, so I'm just uh, iPhone uh, my <laughs> inadequate compared to you. Hey, as long as you as long as we can hear you, we're getting the job done as far as Oh, that is true. Excellent. That is so true. Um, I've I've preferred to go with the gallery view versus the speaker view. Because I just I just want to see your expressions on your faces when I humiliate you. I just I just love I want that instantaneous feedback. 
<laughs> All right, guys, so let's continue with the questioning. We've, we've gone through a whole litany of what's going on in the NCAA, what's going on in the NFL, what's going on in the NBA as it relates to us versus them kinds of scenarios. Like the NCAA is the us to the power five they who are trying to separate themselves from the NCAA because they feel they could do better in their tournament play. Now, that's a one example from what Austin and I have talked about. But I want to bring you, Griggs, to talk a little bit about are, are the social issues distractions to athletic performance and the delivery of these competitive contests? I have my own opinion. I'm interested in what yours is as a journalist. You know, you've got that power of observation. Uh, we'll just jump back real quick to, uh, to the NCAA. I, I might reframe that another us versus them. I would say would be who I call the unpaid pro athletes, not college athletes, and the NCAA, the powers that be. But, yeah, it does seem like there's this interesting power dynamic shift to the conferences, which only makes me think that another decade down the road we'll be having the same exact conversations, but it, is it that the power five have become too powerful? Uh, instead of the NCAA. Interesting stuff. I can go all down that road. Oh, yeah. I'm obsessed for a time with the uh, uh, images of the likeness debates, the, the Ed O'Bannon uh, case way back when. I was a UCLA fan when I was a little, so I followed the antitrust case. Um, but to the actual question you asked me, you were talking, you said, uh, is this uh, us versus them mentality? Sorry, can you rephrase it? Is you, you, you're, you're, on, you're on track. It's it, we're swirling with this, these ideas that are being bump, that are bombarding athletes at both pro and amateur levels about social issues, and I'm wondering if it's more of a distraction than it is a, any kind of enhancement or even just neutral at best influence on their ability to cognitively get them themselves engaged into delivering their athletic skills. I mean, they've got labels on the back of their helmets, they've got their shirts, they wear, t I mean, hell, LeBron James crafted a black shirt with a white doily on it when RBG went down, you know, in, in honor of her. I mean, what, what yeah. I mean, I, no disrespect, I want that to happen, that's great stuff. But I'm a performance guy. How does that influence your ability to deliver the goods? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I would think, uh, so right off the top, me personally, I would think, I, I tend to, it needs a distraction in the surface level sense. You know, someone tunes in and they really just want to see football and, oh, what's this? Is this some kind of demonstration? But lo looking at its core, I think it's neutral at worst to good thing. I, uh, you know, I, I look at it uh, in a couple of ways. One, um, I guess probably the most overarching things I view our society, like pretty much every society on earth that's ever existed, is very tribal, and that's played out. Um, you know, yeah, we're, we're we're a tribal species. I mean, go look at a tailgate for you know any college football game Saturday. That, if nothing else, is sort of a tribal atmosphere. Am I in your tribe? Exactly, exactly. Are you? Am I one of you? Are you one of me? And it's kind of the same thing in, in politics. Uh, frankly, I, I the more and more I've been involved in politics, the more I think folks, you just it's really just a gut feeling. Is this person in my tribe or not? And then you may have a bunch of sort of defining factors for, for the reason you categorize yourself there. Um, the other thing I would say is that, so um, 
so in, in one sense, you're kind of signaling what kind of tribe am I part of, and and I think that that could play a a, a positive role in terms of sort of team cohesion, cohesion with the fans. Um, and of course, there's going to be your fans who don't agree with whatever the message uh, may be. Um, but that, uh, and that's fine. You're not going to please everyone all the time with every political message. I mean, I think that's just inherent. But the other things I would say is that you brought up that kind of us versus them mentality. What I immediately thought of is this kind of uh, anti-establishment type vibe. <laughs> yeah. Look at the NFL. What is possibly more sort of classic establishment than the NFL uh, as, as a business entity and as the league run by Roger Goodell, this ultimate like power player creature, son of a DC senator and partner at King and Spalding. I mean, so I've always had this view is like anytime, anywhere, I don't care if it's on a team that I hate, like the Raiders, if they've got some player who's like appealing something, uh, a fine for a hit hitter, so I'm always on the side of the player. Uh, so that's just another thing. You get that anti establishment vibe, and I can't, I, uh, that's part of probably I think a lot of the players say on an NFL team might uh, feel that way too and that might be another thing that can kind of uh, create some team cohesion um, which I think is kind of the one sort of broad benefit uh, of the answer I've just given any any thoughts or push well yeah and Austin I I want to get your general because we got three generations worth of, of sports fans and athletes on the show today so, Austin, I would like your thoughts on, do you feel this? these are distractions or what is the influence of the social message vibe, you know, the, the consciousness of that with, with athletes and fans to the, against the sport? Well, it's, it's a really interesting subject because it's kind of a loaded question. It depends on who you ask, really. Uh, for some people, you know, you can, they can go play the game. They can talk about what they want to. They can kneel. They can do all this stuff, and it won't affect their gameplay. You see other guys that, I mean, and Colin Kaepernick comes to mind. He is, is, it comes to mind because it kind of consumed him, it almost seems. It almost seems that that was his main goal, and it, Kenny kind of fell off playing-wise. So I think that it really is a varying situation. There's some guys that can do it. There's some guys that can't. Um, you know, they have this big platform that they want to use, and I get. Um, but at the end of the day, they're there to do a job, right? Uh, and I'm not saying shut up and dribble like or anything like that. But I'm just saying if they can't handle the backlash that they're going to get or the praise that they're going to get, maybe they need to take a step back and look at themselves and say, is this best for me and my career, or am I willing to sacrifice my gameplay or my career to send this message? And if that answer is yes, then then so be it. Then go do it. That's fine. But just know that there's going to be backlash. There's going to be a consequence. It could be something good. It could be something bad. But if you're willing to take that leap of faith, I mean, I think you should go for it. So that's why I think it's, it really just depends on the person and depends on what we're talking about. So, Griggs, let's, let's, take, let's extend it into the economic impact. For example, manufacturing of apparel is in all parts of the world. And, and even the domestic companies like a Nike and others, they still job that out to foreign countries. And now with this heightened awareness about social issues, social inequality... Um, athletes are taking heat for continuing to have a sponsor who uses child labor in the manufacturing of their customized shoes. What do you do with that? 
I, it, it's a troublesome route to go down because I think, uh, you know, that's an easy one. Um, in a way, we, we like no one wants to see uh, these factories in China making these clothes, Nike or whatever it is, um, for pennies on the dollar. It's not made in the U.S. Uh, but on the other hand, every single one of us, every single one of us who has a cell phone, I mean, there are some uh, minerals and compounds that go there that can be only mined in places like uh, <laughs> Afghanistan and I think the Eastern Congo, where yeah. literally I think civil wars are taking place over some of these elements. Um, and so that's in all of our pockets. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's the easy answer. Like, yes, I, yeah, you, we, you don't want to to maybe know that your shoe, your Nike shoes were <laughs> created in trial of labor in the U.S. We all agree on that. Whether people want to pay four times more for their shoes, yeah, I don't know. These are thorny uh, globalization type questions that have all of a sudden now made it down to the athlete level. And the only thing I, I just want to add one more thing to what Austin said because I uh, agreed largely uh, with it, which is just the, the point that I was just going to add to it is that you know you got these athletes. Uh, you got one life to live, and you've got this platform, and it's kind of like, do you, you want to use it or not? And, and, and like Austin said, that comes with, with risks. No politician comes out of the gates saying, oh, I'm going to you know, announce this initiative or this campaign platform, and I want 100% of the population on board. You know, at best, they're, they're aiming for 51%. Uh, so uh, you have this one platform. How do you use it? I certainly can't blame the ones that do use it. Uh, but it's thorny. I mean, you, you can rail against the, some of the kind of labor practices going around the world with these athletic companies, but whether there's an easy solution to that, I, I don't know. And I don't so, as a, as a leader, Griggs, and I'll pass this on to Austin after your response. As a leader, then you are you have no choice. You have to walk into the hedgerow, the thorny hedgerow, and deal with it. Now, I'm not going to solve anything. I know that going in, but I've got to manage it for the survival and maximization of the performance of our organization and the team. What do you do? What do you do as a leader when you're faced with the, whether it's apparel issues or it's making a choice as, do I put something on the back of the t-shirts and the helmets or do I not? Or if I'm going to, do I ask every player if they choose to participate? What, what do I do? So you're the leader, what do you do? You have no choice. You have to walk into the thorny hedgerow to, to deal with the issues. You don't have it. You're the GM or the head coach. Well, yeah, I think the interesting there is just look how it's evolved just in a quarter century, right? It wasn't the famous line from Michael Jordan that uh, South Africans buy uh, basketball shoes too, or something talking about uh, mm-hmm. apartheid era South Africa. Um, I mean, good gracious, I don't think any player could get away with saying something like that uh, in this day and age. You know, just being that, whether they put it on the back of the jersey or not, just not being that uh, sort of dismissive. Like, I'd like to shoot, sell shoes, you know, more than I'd like to see justice in the country. Um, yeah, so times have obviously changed the last quarter century, um, and, and there was this new platform. Uh, but again, I don't know, 25 years ago, all you saw of Michael Jordan was what you saw in Gatorade, Nike commercials, flying in occasional interviews. He didn't have 50 million uh, Twitter followers. So new issues, new world, new platforms uh, as well. Um, 
but but it's certainly changed because I I don't know if this maybe it's an answer to your question. I don't I simply do not no. think you can even get away with saying that this day. I think in this particular question, a non-answer is an answer because it is so convoluted. And yet at the same time, Austin, I'm going to ask from a, a younger person's perspective: if I have 50 million Twitter followers, I got leverage. And that means there's 50 million people who give a shit about what I say and what I present to them in product. What, what does a leader do from your perspective then with these issues? Well, you know, as a leader, what you have to do is you just you have to stand up for what you believe in. Um, I think you have to stick to your guns, and you, as a leader, you know that it's going to come with backlash. It's going, you know, not everybody's going to be on your side. Maybe like like Griggs was saying that it's you at best you're going to have 51 percent of the people behind you. So all you can do now, especially nowadays, is you just have to stand up for what you think is right. And people may follow you, they may they may shun you, but at least at the end of the day, you can look back at yourself and truly say, you know what, that's what I believe in. And, you, and I'm a firm believer that you can't regret it. If that's something that you truly believe in and you stand up for what you believe is right, I don't see how you can go wrong. All right, so we're, we're using methods to communicate messages so that we can stand up, we can represent. And, and engage us or them, so whatever, we're, we're able to engage. So in the journalistic world and the very challenging, competitive journalistic world of politics, Griggs, what, what are methods that, that leaders should be looking at to help them deliver their message in an effective way? Because I think, you know, the, the, the fake news phrase is, is not is not accurate by any stretch of the imagination, but it became almost cult-like in its its delivery. I mean, it's like tribal. You mentioned it was part of the tribe. They believe in it. What methods should we be using so that truth is truly told and that the messages get delivered in a fashion that they get engaged, they get heard, and then acted on in a way that's that's representative of the truth? Well, I have some other folks have better answers than me on that because, uh, you know, Type fake news, talk about something uh, th that's been co-opted. Uh, I mean, you mentioned you know, my background in politics. That's, I think, part of the reason why this is tough for me to answer because the more and more I looked at the 2018 cycle going into the 2020 cycle, is like, man, it is hard to break through message-wise. Social media is a cesspool. The news, people who don't like it, literally just call it fake news. And I, and I came to this conclusion that. Uh, uh, I worked for Democrats in, in my political career. Um, the Democrats shouldn't even talk about issues. You know, we can we can debate the Green New Deal or whatever down the road. What we need to put every cent and every resource into is, is voter engagement. Go out, uh, get out the vote, GFTV stuff, fighting for it in the courts, and just getting the, the mass of your tribe out there. Uh, sort of skipping the message part. That said, I've spent most of my career, whether it's in the public affairs, government world, or in the campaign world, uh, working on messaging, um, and it's usually how to make something that's a complicated or uh, a little bit more of an esoteric issue, something that's palpable or understandable to everyday public or the lawmaking public, whatever it be. But, uh, 
you know, I've watched the same events unfold over the last uh, couple of weeks as everybody else, and I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you, how you get the medicines through. Well, I really don't. Here's here's what really battled me with all the sophistication we have in social media platforms. A message that was very powerful that got people to take action in a very directed and powerful sense was over a microphone outdoors in a live setting. Trump spoke on a microphone, on a stage, in a moment, and something happened. Well, talking about tribal, talking about think, feeling like you belong to a part of the movement, um, you know, people from your tribe, I'll, I'll try not to keep going back to that, but yeah, I mean, there is something to be said in the age, you know, or the information age, allegedly, and that people, there's never been more misinformation out there. Um, but those Trump rallies, there was something that clearly connected. He he, he was able to tap into something, uh, you know, people talk about the, the white grievance politics, all of that, but I think you make the most important point about the venue. Let's not count that out. The, the, uh, the power, the sheer force of crowd energy and, and feeling like, uh, you know, a guy who's saying something that he maybe always had thought to yourself but never heard someone say out loud, all of a sudden someone saying it out loud and there's 10,000 other people around you uh, sure, that's pretty, whatever the message may be and whatever eloquence he's using, or lack of eloquence he's using to deliver it, that's a pretty powerful setting uh, to, to receive it in and that, that can't be underestimated Austin, is that the only thing that works with the younger crowd? Is that, that palpable connection in an audience, in a crowd, that kind of tribal sense of being part of something or is there, am I missing other communication styles that and, and tools that we should be using to get your attention, engage people. Well, you know, I think the thing that my generation really clings onto is is relatability. If something is relatable or somebody can relate to us in any sort of way, we're more likely to, you know, follow that person on Twitter or agree with their message. It's the people that, uh, that's kind of what I go for with the common fan as well, is because we try to be as relatable as possible. Yep. And so I think if you can have a relatable message and get it out there, and like Griggs like was saying, if, if we can hear you know somebody say what we've been thinking all along, we're going to say, oh, okay, well, maybe it's okay to voice that opinion. Maybe it's okay to get behind this or get behind that or do this. I think it's all, it's all about relatability. And if you can be relatable, you can spread your message and influence my generation. So if I can hear the echo, I have the power really cool. to speak. Is that what you're saying? If I hear the echo... I have the power to speak and repeat. I I, I wouldn't say the power to speak. I'd say if you hear the echo, you have the power to rally. Gotcha. You can speak your mind, but if if you're hearing somebody saying what you've been thinking, you're going to rally behind that person. Gotcha. Greg, you were saying? Yeah, and I would... uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a great point Austin made, and what I would add to it, uh, it's kind of a subset or corollary to the to the relatability is you know you go back to those classic elements of like what makes good compelling storytelling that gets someone into a story from Act One to Act Five, and usually uh, you know it's rising action, it's all these things, but also conflict. Conflict makes any story, any main character has to make a decision. And it just so happens that when you are sending and receiving a political message, it's, uh, well, Fox News found this out, you know, 20 years ago, that when you have a boogeyman um, and a conflict that people can rally around, uh, that 
kind of makes this kind of cohesive glue that, that can uh, bring your audience together or make them just more rabid. I, I like the fact that you brought up an old school term, boogeyman. I like that. That's that's that makes me feel really good right here in my heart. The boogeyman. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, you both are making the relatability, the the having something tangible to to attach yourself to. Uh, if somebody else is hurting, I want to hurt with you, and we can hurt together. Uh, the same thing with smile. Hopefully, more smiling than hurting, but. Nonetheless, the, the common causality of our interactions. Um, and as we get close to the end of the show, I want you to both think about what what's the takeaway for anybody when they find that relatability with someone, that, that, that causality that connects them uh, to a, a mission. Should, should we encourage them to evaluate it before they take action? Or should we just say, go with the gut, just, just rock it, just, just get on your horns and grab your spear and paint your face and get after it? You see what I'm doing there? That image? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in my opinion, well, we, we knew what his answer was. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, when, in my opinion, this kind of goes back to, you know, what we were talking about with pro athletes and, you know, is it affecting their, their play? You know, when what I said was you have to believe, you have to stand up for what you believe in and know there's consequences. So I think that what you take away from this, though, is that if you're having a thought, right and you want to voice that opinion you have to know that the odds are there's a bunch of other people that think the same way as you and you will probably have somebody to back you up and there's, there's there of course there's cases where no one agrees with you and i'm not saying that everybody's always going to agree with you but the odds of you having an idea and thinking that you know I'm the only one in the world that has this idea or this opinion. It's just not true because for every one person that has an idea, there's two others that, that have that same idea. On, on the other hand, there's also four other people that have the opposite opinion. I mean, you're never going to please everybody, but I think what you take away from this is that you're probably not the only one thinking this way, so you need to surround your people or rally around or surround yourself or rally around people that have the same ideas as you, that push the same ideas because they're out there. You just might have to search to find them yeah Griggs what do you think and I well I, it, it, for me personally I I'm kind of a, someone who would say oh yeah you got that feeling in your gut go out and act on it but I think uh, it's in the context of this conversation I almost have to pump the brakes a little because when we say I uh, well when Austin and I talk about that relatability let's not forget it, it can cut both ways uh, you know QAnon shaman with the horns and stuff uh you know, those types of people felt relatability with what was around them, and uh, they probably could have benefited a little bit more from thinking before acting instead of jumping into the mob mentality. Uh, so context is obviously everything, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I fancy myself more of a go like the, you know, get that fire in your belly, go and act, but in practice I'm more of sort of a conscientious go home and stew on it and then come up with my full outline game plan from there. That was actually a, 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 an issue that I had to have with you on the mound. I would have to say, get out of your way and throw the ball, would you? Just just throw the damn pitch. <laughs> Stop thinking about it. 
Yeah, you don't need an outline to get a ton of uh, pictures down to home. A writing teacher told me once, you know, to, to get from, uh, talking about writing a book, to get from uh, New York to San Francisco, you don't need headlights that go from coast to coast. That's a good, that's a, you gotta write that one down and put it on a poster. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Well, guys, as we have about three or four minutes left in the show, I want to I want to share with you um, some thoughts I have about your participation and what the rationale was for this show, and remind our audience that we're we're here every Friday, 11 a.m. Uh, streaming with KUHSDenver.com, uh, um, and in doing that, we we try to bring you focus on performance. Now, us versus them. That's one of our themes today, but the performance is about you making choices. And both Austin and Griggs pointed out relatability, find a cause, attach yourself with that, surround yourself with like-minded people. And that's, those are performance parameters. It's hard to take action totally on your own if you haven't had a body of folks around you that give you the, the strength, the capability, and the, the, the roadway to take off. You need that around you, even though the sport, the activity may be just you. You're the one running, you're the one wrestling, you're the one skiing. Even on a team, you're the one blocking, and yet you're part of uh, 10 other people. You've gotta make those choices and make them clearly and quickly so that you can resiliently be able to ascertain obstacles in front of you and adjust and adapt. So for me, I'm concerned about the adjusting and adapting capability of anybody, whether they take action right off the bat from what they hear and talk about, or they find out with a pattern pace those who are relatable. In either case, you've gotta make a choice that fits you, and then live with it, own it, after it's done, regardless of the consequences, which is another concern of mine. I don't think there's a lot of people taking ownership of their actions in the last 30 days. And there may not be enough of them taking ownership in the next 300 days. But I want to see that change and happen. So with that being said, gentlemen, give me your, your send-off uh, with, with uh, your experience from today to our audience in about, eh, you know, 60 seconds or less. Go ahead, Griggs. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of things I want to get on my mind, but I will say one thing that maybe doesn't tie quite in today's theme, but I was a little nervous before getting on the air with you, so what did I do? I did some great breathing exercises uh, this morning here, and a lot in uh, from guitar to things I wish I knew back when I was on the pitcher's mound to giving a radio interview. Breathing is central to so much that we do, uh, in it, whether it's competing or communicating, so that's one thing I know you and I have talked about before in the past, um, and I think it helped bring me, uh, helped me bring my most lucid thoughts here to the conversation. I love when Griggs Crawford is lucid. I love it. Makes my day. Austin, what's your thoughts in 60 seconds or less that you want to leave our audience with? Well, I, I, I want to say that the, you know the moral of today's show really is kind of stand up for what you believe in. Uh, it can be scary. 
uh, you can have differencing opinion. That's okay. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they say, oh, well, your opinion's wrong, and my opinion's, but it doesn't matter. Your opinion, if as long as you stand up for what you believe in and you believe in what you're speaking, you can't go wrong. I mean, people can tell you you're wrong. That's fine. But I think at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself. So you need to make a decision that's going to be best for you. Stand up for what you believe in. And at the end of the day, if you're happy with yourself, that's really all that matters. I'm loving it. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for your closing remarks and your contribution to today's show. Remind everybody, we're on Spotify, 360 Performance. Just check it out, as is The Common Fan. Check us both out on 360, or I'm sorry, on Spotify. This is 360 Performance on KUHSDenver.com every Friday, streaming to you. Have a great day today. Talk to you soon.